Now, I don't know if you noticed, but that was actual footage on our uh, property here at GFCC. That was Ed Noggle with his young apprentice, and they were trimming back the weeds. Um, but in all honesty, aren't you thankful the way Ed Noggle and Debbie and their team keeps our property looking great? By the way, Ed and Debbie celebrated their 50th anniversary this weekend. Let's praise God for Ed and Debbie. Man, that's awesome. I don't know how many of you remember the last time I pulled out the table to set on. Uh, it was an intense day. Today is, is very similar in the fact that we're uh, looking again to pull weeds because the weeds that come around us are, are intense and they're divisive and they're invasive. This wasn't God's plan, however. Uh, from the beginning of time, God created a garden that was perfect where, where crops grew and fruit was produced and there were no weeds. But when sin entered the world, weeds, thorns, thistles were a part of our life moving forward. That we would labor in the world we lived in to even provide food. And, and from that point on, we've been pulling weeds. If you're a farmer, if, if you work in a garden, you know that weeds grow even more when, the, when there's growing season is, is strong. And I believe we're in a growing season. Like Brian talked about right at the beginning of the day, we're growing out and we're growing deep and we're growing young and... During that time, Satan is going to sow seeds for weeds to grow among us, to limit our productivity, to limit uh, the things we do for God. And we've got to be pulling them. We've got to identify them and say, there's no place in God's family for these, these seeds to be sown, for these, these sins to grow. Last week, we started pulling on a, a, a weed of gossip. I don't know how many of you are like me this week after you were challenged by God's word on gossip, where you may have been in a conversation, you're like, now wait a minute, is this gossip or is this not gossip? Anyone can relate to that? You had some of those times this week, you're wondering how you were doing and maybe you were failing. I just want you to know I only talked about a few of you who I felt like I was gossiping this week, okay? In all honesty, there were times it wasn't gossip and there were times it was and I stopped. I wonder how you're doing with that weed. We, we compared it to the, the natural weed or the, the actual weed of water hemp in, in a seed of soybeans. And uh, the University of Illinois, we found, did a survey, and they said when, when there's this much water hemp, the soybeans are limited uh, to like 44% of their production is not available. And, and farmers, they, they go after that type of, type of weed. This week we're talking about a, a different spiritual weed than gossip. And it's different the way it grows. And it's just as dangerous, if not more so. It's not generally as numerous. It spreads a little more slowly, but it grows in very specific places, really deep in our heart at times. It's a giant problem, though, when it's present. It's devastating. Now, we're going to compare it for just a moment of a real weed that we encounter, the giant ragweed. If you're a farmer, you probably know giant ragweed. Anybody ever seen a giant ragweed? Here, here's an infestation of giant ragweed in corn. You can't even hardly see the corn growing. What's interesting, while 44% of uh, soybean production can be limited by a lot of um, different uh, weeds like water hemp, you can only, if you have just one ragweed in an area uh, 10 by 10, a, a 100 square foot area, soybean production is reduced by 50%. It's devastating. It, it just blocks out the sun, absorbs the water. And like most weeds, if it's not dealt with early, its roots will grow deep. But I believe even more problematic than the way it reduces production is a ragweed, a giant ragweed seed can lay dormant for 30 years and all of a sudden grow. 
It, it can rear its head. It, it can all of a sudden make a, a problem flare up where we thought we were clean. And I think the spiritual weed that we're going to talk about today is just as destructive as ragweed and beans. And it can linger for years and we don't think it's really a problem. But all of a sudden it's there and it's ugly and it's sinful. And you know what it is? Racism. Today we're going to be talking about racism and how we look at others. And it's especially devastating and divisive. And I think Satan loves to sow it, loves to grow its, its weeds at just the right time when he calculates to hold us back because it, it, it really is devastating to families, to communities and churches because it devalues God's most prized possession, his people. Racism is not accepted within God's culture, within his, within his family. And let me be clear when anyone by their own faulty beliefs or prejudice devalues a child of God, it is sin and needs to stop. If it ever happens, whenever it happens, it's something that goes against God's will. I'll never forget seeing racism as a small boy. I was probably seven or eight as I look back on the experience. My aunt and uncle had just adopted um, a little black girl. She was five or six at the time. I was just a little bit older than her. And, and in the culture of that day, uh, we would hang out at my grandma and grandpa's house, and there was no problem at all. But on this day, I vividly remember we were at a community event. People had not been around our family for a while, and they have not met uh, my cousin. And as I was playing with her, I noticed people were staring. I noticed some people were pointing fingers, and I was, it was a little uh, beyond normal. Uh, people even were whispering. And as a young boy, I knew it was wrong, and it's still wrong today. Amen? When we devalue based on what we think someone should be or, or what we would like them to be, and we say they are less than or we point fingers and, and we question and judge them, it is racism and it is wrong. Please hear me. I do not believe we have a large investation of racism among us. But just one deep-rooted weed of racism will hold us all back and hinder our productivity and limit the, the name and our good name uh, about the gospel right here in Greenville around the world. So it needs to stop. We need to remember our mission. Remember, it is love God, love people, and serve how many? All. All people. And that's what ground us, our mission. And the race tension is still growing, and I think it angers God. See, more times than not, when you hear about race, my blood pressure goes up because there's often some major um, wrongdoing happening, maybe on both sides. And media and our culture have hijacked the conversation. Extremist groups have hijacked the, the race conversation. And today, my effort is not to get your blood pressure up, but for us to have peace and relax and put the conversation back in God's hands so he will change our hearts. God deserves to, to have the conversation about race because he created it. Let's no longer uh, flow with the media and, and go wild with a hijacking of, of our minds and our relationships. We also have to be real. Race and racism are not a new issue. Hope that's not a surprise to you. Race and racism have been around for a long time. In the Old Testament times, they were alive. In fact, if you go to the times of Moses, race was a big deal. In Numbers chapter 12, I encourage you to read this this week. It's a story many of you probably have never heard before. But Moses is in a relationship. In fact, he's got a wife. 
and, and she's of a different race. And Moses' own brother and sister began to gossip, first behind his back, about his uh, a wife who's of a different race, and God hates it. Look at it, Numbers chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Here's what it says. Miriam, which was his sister, and Aaron, his brother, began to talk against Moses. Man, that's pretty much gossip, slander. God said uh, that's pretty much of Satan in and of itself because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Notice there's two words, uh, one word here said twice, Cushite. We can overlook that pretty quick. But the Cushite people uh, were people from what we now know as Ethiopia or Somalia. And the Cushite people were very dark-skinned. And while Moses was not light-skinned, she, she would have been of a totally different race. And his own brother and sister said, oh, that's wrong. They judged her as a Cushite woman. They wished Moses wouldn't have married a Cushite woman. And God became angry with their division and judgment on Moses and the marriage that God had blessed See, what God blesses, let's not speak against. Amen? If God blesses something, well, we need to be ready to, to bless it as well. But Miriam uh, especially begins to speak against Moses. So God punished her. This is hard for us to comprehend in 2022. But because of her racism against Moses and what God had blessed, God brought leprosy on Miriam. Seems pretty severe, doesn't it? Look it up for yourself. God cursed her with, with leprosy to the point where she was white. The Bible says she was looked like her flesh was rotten. Immediately. That's how much God hates when we belittle relationships and, and people. Moses cried out for his sister. He said, God, please heal my sister. He probably made excuses for her. But God said, no. She's going to have leprosy. For seven days. And after seven days, you can restore her and bring her back in. But notice what the Bible says here in Numbers chapter 12, verse 11. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days. This is common practice. You know what we call this? Quarantining the sick. She was sick, so she was quarantined for seven days. And then if she was healed, she was going to be able to be restored. And there was a process for that. But notice what it says here. She was quarantined outside the camp for seven days because she was sick. The people did not move on till she was brought back. Here's maybe the saddest part of this whole story to this point. While the racism was real, it was one person, and she was punished, but the entire body of God's people, three million people, were held back for seven days from moving on. Here's what we need to understand. When, we're, when there's sin among us, it affects all of us. There's a consequence uh, for this type of sin. And when relationships are severed, God hates that. So what is racism? Here's a simple definition that I want us to be united on as we move forward. Racism is a belief in the superiority of one race over another that leads people to prejudice and or opposition or oppression to the people of that other race. Our world has tried to even hijack this world where they said, well, only a person of white power can really be racist or, or a person of this uh, uh, system can only be racist. I think racism, by God's standards, is anyone who thinks they're better than another and oppresses someone because they're different. That's racism. So we're going to do some weeding of that today. But how? We need to look at what God's Word says. It's going to be our guide. 
I find it interesting, it wasn't only in Moses' time, but it was during the days of Paul when he was establishing the church. He wrote a church in Ephesus. We call it the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus. And in chapter 1, he said, man, we're saved by grace. Uh, he celebrates God, uh, your grace through Jesus Christ is praiseworthy. Uh, we're saved by grace, live by grace. And then he says in chapter 2, now that you've received God's grace and you're saved, handle your race problems. It's pretty much what it says in chapter 2. Look what it says. In chapter 2, verse 11, now that you have grace, restore your race. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth. He goes, remember that's who you were and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. So here's what Paul's dealing with. He's not dealing with black or white, Republican or Democrat. He's dealing with Jew and Gentile, and it is a race issue. He dives right into the biggest racial problem of the day, Jews and Gentiles, and it was a big deal. If you were a Jew and you had been led to believe over the course of your life that only Jews could be blessed, you would wake up in the morning, and this was a common prayer that had been infiltrated in your mind. God, thank you for making me a Jew. Thank you for not making me a Gentile or a dog. Praise God. It was serious. Uh, their minds were skewed. Uh, they had a very little value for anything else other than the race of, of, of they knew that from the Jewish line. And here's what Paul says. Look what he says in verse 13. But now in Christ, you who are once far away were brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, he's talking about Jew and Gentile, has made them one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So Paul is saying, while there were two groups of people, the main division was between Jew and Gentile, Jesus has made it one. He's brought peace from where there was hostility. If you look to the text, this whole chapter, four times God says Jesus brought peace. He's brought peace. Through the blood, he's brought peace. Through his reconciliation power, he's brought peace. We need peace today, don't we? Between rich and poor, between male and female, between Republican and Democrat, between any and every race, and Jesus brings peace. How, how do we find that peace? I want to give us some tools to weed out racism and, and things that bring hostility. Here's the first one. We can pull weeds of racism by understanding and celebrating our new proper identity in Christ. Here's the baseline, the core. When I look at people, I do not see them any longer as the world sees them, but I see them through the lens of their new identity as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we're to look at people. Uh, don't miss this. When, when Christ came, he didn't come to fix something that was old. He came to make things new. Man, that's better. Uh, I, I'm pretty good at making something old work just for a few more days. Last night, our air conditioner broke at like 9.39. I'm like, I'd rather not be hot tonight. One of my boys and I went outside, took the air conditioner apart. It was working when I left this morning. It will probably not work tonight. It was a temporary fix. I am okay at making something old work for a little bit. That's not what Jesus does. He says, this was old, it wasn't working, and I have made it new. That's what Jesus does. He makes things new. Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, we're, we're new creations in Christ. Our identity is no longer based on the past, on race, politics, or prejudice. It is based on being in Jesus. Amen? 
It's based on being in Jesus. I'm made new in Christ myself, and that's what gives me peace. So it gives me value. My value and peace does not come from my skin color, my zip code, or my bank account. It comes from I have been made new in Jesus. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, so I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying we're first Christians. That hit me this week when I said that name a few times, first Christian. Um, for years, our churches have been known as First Christian Churches, whatever city you're from, First Christian Church of Greenville. And we really got that name because we were probably the first Christian church or restoration movement church in that city. It's not a bad name, but I don't think it goes far enough to really explain who we are. I, I love this idea, though, that when we think of ourselves, we're First Christian. I'm not first a husband or a pastor. I'm not first uh, Republican or Democrat. I'm not first white or black. I am first Christian. Not from just Greenville, Illinois, but from the kingdom of God. I am first Christian. So when you see our name anywhere and this idea that hope changed everything, know that it comes from us being first Christian. It's a new concept. Well, I'm thankful I'm American. I'm first Christian. Well, I'm thankful that I'm married to Tiffany. I'm first Christian. Well, I'm thank thankful that, that I am blessed to be your pastor. I am first a Christian, a follower of Christ. So we must pull weeds of racism by understanding our identity and celebrating it as first followers of Jesus. We have to look at others through that same lens. You're like, well, I can do it for me. I understand that I'm first Christian. But when I look at this person that's different from me, I see them first as whatever, they, whatever you see them as. Maybe it's a Cubs fan. I know that's really hard to get past. Maybe it's a female that you've never related to because your mom didn't treat you well, or a father, and your father wasn't good to you. Maybe it's a black person. Maybe it's a poor person. Maybe it's a drug addict, and you have trouble seeing them first as Christian, but that's what God calls you to see, their true identity. So how do you do that? Here's the second tool. It doesn't come because you put on some special glasses. It comes because you are changed by the power of the cross. I believe in this text we see that we're to pull weeds of racism through the power of the cross. Look what it says. It says to reconcile both of them, both sides of this argument, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. All the hostility that we see in the world, whether it's gun violence, whether it's racism, that hostility will not go away by making more laws. It will not go away by having a, a, a five-step program to be nice. It will only be changed by the blood of Jesus changing their hearts. And we've got to model that. We've got to live that. That's what Paul did. He says the cross changes things. Here we need to understand this. The cross is not just an old relic, but it was meant to change things and restore people. You know really why the cross had to be? is because of sin. So any weed that we would call weed, which is sin, only can be changed by the blood of Jesus. So much of the world is so focused on skin. Well, what color skin do you have? How do we need to treat this person because of their skin? While skin matters, we need to be more concerned, have I sinned instead of their skin? And if we have sinned, 
We need to say, God, I repent. Change my heart. Change my mind, my attitude. I, I want to look more like Jesus. The cross is what does that. Nothing else will. No amount of right actions, no amount of a program can make us non-racist. But the cross can change your hearts. The Holy Spirit can, can convict us. I guess I think we need to take a break just for a second. If you haven't noticed, there's a storm. Some of your blood pressure may be going up. Guys, God loves you. And we need to understand that he wants us to get this right because if there's any hope for our world to be, have the hope of right relationships with the people of opposite race or different opinions, it's because we as the church will model it well and do it well ourselves. And it's possible through Jesus. Look what it says in Colossians 1. Through him, Jesus, he reconciled to himself all things, whether things of the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here's the cool part. Our core vision is that hope changes everything. How can we expect our world to be changed and race, racism and racial tension to, to go down if we don't lead it here? Brothers, sisters in Christ in the church need to be leaders of this conversation. And it's not that hard. It's, it's changed by Jesus, what he did. There, there's one more tool that I want to put in your toolbox uh, to help weed out racism today, though, and it's this. We can pull weeds of racism by placing priority in God's word. Look back to the text. It's a little harder to see, but it's there. It says, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. No matter what you look like, no matter how much money you have, no matter where you're from, we're all God's family together in his house, built on the foundation of the apostles, of the prophets, and of the cornerstone Christ Jesus himself. So here's what Paul's saying. As we build our lives as a family of God, saved by grace, destroying any race problems, you got to look to Jesus first as the cornerstone to get things straight. You also look to the prophets and what the apostles said. If you understand what the apostles and prophets and Jesus are, it is what we now know as the Bible. So if you want an ability to know how to avoid uh, racism and have better race relationships or relationships with anyone that's different, the core is found in God's Word through the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus himself. Look to how Jesus lived his life. Look to how a guy like Moses modeled uh, loving a woman, even though she was different. Look at all through the Bible from uh, the beginning to the end, and God's holy people honored his valuable possession, all races. We've got to look, let the, the Bible win, the word win. Let Jesus be the key, chief cornerstone. Here's the problem, though. We live in a very educated world. People have degrees on top of degrees on degrees. There are people that have degrees that are focused on race. And I'm not saying that's bad, but here's where it becomes unacceptable. When we are so educated and so smart, we develop theories and programs to eliminate race that don't have anything to do with God's word. It's a waste of time. If our theories and our beliefs and our strategies aren't grounded in God's Word, it's not going to really change much. In fact, we're probably going in bad directions because there are both sides of the race issue right now, whether it's white supremacist or, or a, a black extremist. If they are not grounded in God's Word, their theories will take us bad places. 
So be very careful what we're consuming from culture, from social media, from our education of our state and our, 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 our world saying, well, here's how we're going to handle this in these theories. If they're not grounded in God's Word, it will lead us astray. Write this down. Secular theories should never supersede the Holy Scriptures. I don't care how smart someone is, how much education they have, a secular theory should never supersede the Holy Scriptures, but they must first submit to them. There are great things coming out of human minds because God created human mind. But if they do not flow under and come under the foundation of God's Word, they need to be dismissed. Some people have said, though, but man, I, I hear some of these theories and they make so much sense. They feel right. Guys, there will be a lot of things that we feel right about that are dead wrong if, if God does not bless it. The Word wins. So what should we do? I'm almost done. Listen to this. Here's the transition point of what we should do. So now we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Paul's basically saying, don't look at people and judge them by, by what you see. Though we once regarded Christ that way, we no longer. Therefore, if anyone is a Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what Paul's saying. Jesus died so we could be restored to God. Now he's given us the ministry to restore other people to God and to one another. And if you're not a part of that, you're opposite of what God's doing. Our ministry is to restore and serve all people. So how do you best do that? I think we've got to be proactive. While some of you may be thinking here today, I can't believe this is the place for this in the church. I think this is exactly the place to have a proactive conversation about race because God loves it. He values it because he values all people. So we have to be proactive. And we've got to be honest with ourselves. When racism creeps into our hearts and minds, we've got to be proactive and take a stance against it. Remember the giant ragweed? Its seeds can lay dormant for 30 years. There have been some sense of racism putting my heart that I have repressed that if I'm not careful 30, 40 years later, it can come up out of my upbringing in southern Indiana. And I have to be proactive and say, that is wrong. I wonder what sometimes creeps into your heart and mind that you need to be proactive against. That's unhealthy. That judges someone by the way they look. Maybe it's not even their skin color. Maybe it's they don't have any money. Maybe, maybe they're uh, an addict. Maybe... They just look different. You're like, I don't think I can be with them. Be proactive against that and restore your relationship with them. I was talking to a friend this week. I'm going to introduce you to two friends in just a moment. The first one is Rich Young. Him and I were talking about this matter right here in the sanctuary. I think it was on as late as Tuesday. And Rich was explaining to me that his family was very proactive on helping race relationships in California as he grew up. Even with being very proactive about race relationships his whole life, he testified to me this reality that sometimes, if he's not careful, he can begin to judge someone just by the way they look. Listen to a story. I go into St. Louis a couple times a month in the evening to attend a writer's group. And this group of people is very diverse. We have black, brown, yellow, red, white, gray, pink, we even have plaid. There's a fellow from Scotland that comes. So I want you to imagine that I have spent 
two and a half to three hours with all these people. We've eaten good food. We've done artistic fellowship together, reading a new play and giving feedback on it. And now I'm on my way back to the car and it's dark out and a couple of black young men, young black men fall in step behind me. And I am instantly apprehensive. Now think about who I was with for the three hours previous to that. And you might say, well, yeah, anytime you're in a big city in the dark and people are walking behind you, that's a reason for apprehension. But I found myself thinking they're black and that is prejudiced. And I recognized then myself and I was very disappointed by that. So I thought this is not acceptable. I'm going to do something about it. And I, I stopped and I turned to them and I said, are, are you guys from around here? I go to this writer's group and I have a hard time finding a place to park sometimes. And they said, yeah, you can hear here. They were very cordial, it was a nice conversation. And my takeaway from that is that when you discover prejudice in yourself, you have to recognize it and then be intentional and proactive about dealing with it. Great advice. I wonder when it creeps into you, when, when you realize there's something uh, uneasy or you judge and you just roll with it and be like, it's no big deal, or do you step up and say, this is not right. I'm going to enter a relationship. And Rich went on to tell me that it was a very good conversation with these guys and, and he found parking for the night and everything was good. Now, we, we also understand that there are times when we're going to be apprehensive about the world we live in, period, but it can't be because our hearts are hard to someone in general. We must love and serve all and let the chips fall where they may. I'm so thankful for a guy like Rich to challenge me in this way. He's one of my friends. I want to share with you another friend. I want to introduce you to him. His name is Jacoby Maxwell. He is a leader right here in Greenville. He is a football coach for the Greenville University. He works with the, specifically the receivers. And in the last couple months, I've got to know him and, and really am encouraged by his love for people. And I believe if you listen to him today and we continue this conversation now and at home, Jacoby can make us better with our relationships. Let's give it up for Jacoby as he comes. Jacoby, a little bit more information about him. Uh, he grew up in the Chicagoland area and uh, loves football as an athlete. And I'm just so thankful he's here leading in this community. Uh, Jacoby, tell us a little about yourself. Hello. Hello. Let's make. Oh, it's just muted. There you go. Hello. I'm, I'm not good at technology here. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it, it's good to be here. Um, like Pastor Tyson said, I'm, I'm Jacoby. I, I coach uh, the receivers over at the university here, um, and, and it's super, super awesome to be here. Um, one thing uh, kind of that I, I want to start with, um, one is, and I'm praying that the Lord uh, uses uh, me and speaks through me. I, I don't want this to be um, these man-made solutions, right? There's a lot of secular uh, solutions. I, I don't want that. I pray that the Spirit uh, leads uh, through this um, and, and, and that we look at, at Christ's heart um, and see what he has to say about this. Um, so, yeah, I, I coach athletes. Um, right now, they should be, I, I say should, they should be in the weight room three times a week. Um, they're, they're home for the summers. Uh, but one of the things that we want them to do is they're in the weight room, is they're putting weight on their back, they're pushing all this weight. All that uh, is, is doing is, is to build strength and to help them grow. Um, and the reason I bring that, that up is, is because uh, that stuff is un 
uncomfortable at times, right? Uh, that stuff uh, is disturbing our muscles, um, and they don't like it all the times. And, and those are the things that help us grow. So disturbance, being uncomfortable, um, those things lead to strength uh, and growth. And the Lord uses that, especially for us as Christians, that we have a hope uh, that he's going to use uh, those things. And so uh, the first point uh, we have today is, is, is going to be to let go. All right, so there's four L's. The first one is to let go. Um, we, and, and notice I say we, we, we must let go of, of our pride. Um, we have to. And uh, this is big for us as, as Christians, right? Um, how does someone surrender uh, to Christ? Uh, the word surrender means to, to give up or hand over or to cease resistance. Another word for that is to submit. We must submit to Christ's authority, his say-so, letting go or giving up or or handing over, ceasing resistance of our our own opinions, thoughts, beliefs, our whole lives, um, allowing uh, Jesus to be Lord over all, uh, including our thoughts on this topic of uh, something such as racism. Um, We must, we must uh, start here. Man, I, I love whenever I talk to Kobe about this. A lot of times, whether we're white or black, it, racism is often based in fear. And I, boy, I got to hold on to my life. I got to hold on to this. In the kingdom of God, we let go and let his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that is something I learned from Jacoby this week that reminder that, that a, a, a big thing that will feed a weed is pride. Amen? So we got to let go of that pride. Thanks for reminding us of that. Uh, the, the second one is uh, to look. Uh, in letting go, we must now look to Christ, and, and what a, a perfect example uh, we have uh, in him, right? Um, we can uh, look to Philippians 2, uh, where Paul talks about uh, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, not counting equality with God a, a thing to be grasped, and emptying himself uh, in the form of a servant, um, and, and being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, all of the Christian walk involves us de- uh, denying ourselves, uh, letting go, and looking to Jesus Christ, uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look, we must surrender ourselves, our thoughts, beliefs, frameworks of thinking uh, to the Lord. Uh, now look to his example and now ask him to lead and guide us with the spirit. Uh, Psalm 139, uh, 23 through 24 says this, and I love it. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the groundwork. Uh, If we do not let go and look to Christ, uh, these next two things uh, don't matter. We won't get there unless uh, we start here. Man, Jacoby, you humbled me this week whenever we kind of put together a bunch of thoughts, and I had some material before you, and None of the material had an idea of looking really into it. And he's like, man, the first thing I want them to know, if we're going to change this, we got to look to Jesus. So your pastor, I will admit, it humbles me to say, while, while there's been sprinkled of Jesus and his grace here, Jacoby reminded me the key to this is looking to Jesus and looking like him. So, man, great leadership in that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the third one is going to be to live. All right. Um, and uh, when I say live, I mean, living amongst those who are different, uh, different cultures, different backgrounds, who are not like us. Um, 
again, we look to Jesus, um, who was living amongst his people. Um, uh, John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that in itself is, is amazing, that Jesus would come and, and dwell among his people. Um, but even furthermore, he does life with those who are different than him. Uh, Jesus calls Matthew, right, he, a tax collector. He says, follow me. And Matthew drops everything and, and follows him. And then later we see uh, Jesus reclining, uh, fellowship, uh, fellowshipping, eating at the table with uh, tax collectors and sinners, uh, leading the Pharisees to ask uh, the, uh, the disciples, uh, why would he eat with tax collectors uh, and sinners? And, and Jesus hears it and he says, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Uh, we look at another story with Jesus and the woman at the well, uh, a Samaritan woman who upon when uh, Jesus asks for a drink, she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, um, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And in the ESV, uh, it says, for Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Uh, so, one, don't hear me say that uh, those who aren't like you are tax collectors. That's, that's definitely not what I'm saying. Uh, but the point of this uh, is instead to push us to look at how Jesus lives, lived amongst uh, people who were not like him. Uh, imagine this just for a quick second. What if Jesus came, right, born, uh, born Jewish and only ever spent time with ethnic Jews? That, that's all he ever spent time with. Um, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 10 says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe part of that, part of the Lord's Prayer is not only um, hoping for Jesus to come back, but that we would live out his kingdom now. Um, and we will see in a second what that kingdom looks like. Uh, but part of prayer is, is being called to action. And, and part of that action is that we would live out his kingdom in the here and now. Yeah. And so what does that look like, right? Our, our, our relationship circles, they might have to change. Uh, this isn't just a one weekend thing, a, a one Sunday thing. It's uh, who is at our dinner table? Who is at our cookouts? Who are... Uh, who is at our, our birthday parties, our, our, our I love board games, our, our game nights? Like who, who, who's there? Um, that is a great place to start. We will always drift towards people who are like us unless we make intentional efforts not to. Uh, who are we living amongst? That is who we will impact, and that is who will impact us. Who am I putting my children and my family around? That is what they will think of the world. That's who they will think the world looks like. Find someone different. Get to know them. Go deep. Um, and allow the love of Christ uh, to, to, um, to explode in that. We must, we must be intentional. Amen. We live in Bond County. Let's be honest. We're fairly similar in the majority of what we look like. I want it to be known, though, clearly, that this is a place for all people. And it's up to you to help us live that out. When someone comes to different, and I don't know what different will look like someday, make sure they're loved and served. Because that's what Jesus would do. Will we always uh, look a lot like what we do now? It's possible. But I love the fact that diversity is among us and it needs to grow. And everyone feels welcome, loved, and served among this church family. It's so important. Great, great truth. Um, and the last one is two parts. So uh, we must listen uh, and lament. 
Um, I remember one summer, a couple summers uh, ago, and I was struggling. So racial, racial tensions were at an all-time high, at least for my, uh, for my lifetime, and I was struggling. And a few people had texted me and reached out to me. And, uh, but there was one person in particular, one call that, that meant so much to me. It was a friend from high school. We had grown up together. We were in the same friend group. He, he called and uh, just asked how I was doing and then began to ask questions about different situations and, and different things that were said in our friend group in high school. Um, and he just asked, was, man, was, was that offensive? Um, and I began to share with him, uh, yeah, it was. And uh, there was forgiveness there. And he asked for forgiveness. And um, I, I appreciated it so much because when he was intentional about calling me, he listened and he lamented uh, with me. And was such a, a great picture of, of the gospel, of, of the Father. So what, what does it look like to listen? Uh, James 1.19 says simply this, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In order to listen, we must be slow to speak and slow uh, to anger. Uh, what does it now look like to then lament? Lament means a, a, passionate, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow or mourning. Uh, we see the book of Lamentations, Psalms of Lament, uh, even Jesus weeping over Lazarus, and even more so in the garden uh, before he's about to go to the cross, feeling sorrowful to the point of death. Um, there are two words um, that while I was in college, I, I think uh, really hit this home. Um, there, there are to, sur to surmise and to humanize. Uh, to surmise means to assume something to be true, even if you don't yet have the facts. And to humanize is simply to see someone first as human. And furthermore, as, as Christians, we're called to see someone, no matter what they've done in the past, what they're doing now, to see them as made in the image of God. We cannot lament without first surmising and humanizing. Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We cannot lament without listening. We cannot listen without living amongst those in the Lent. We cannot, uh, we will not live with those of different ethnic backgrounds and people different than us without first letting go and looking to Jesus. Amen. And when we look to Jesus, he's already alluded to this, his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And there is a picture of heaven someday. We're going we're gonna to look at that right now. This picture of heaven shows every race, every tribe, every language coming before the king on the throne and giving him praise. It's a beautiful picture. We sang about it. It was in the language of one of the songs we sang this morning. It is a picture that will happen. And Kobe and I were talking this week. Uh, we are naive. He is a black man and me as a white man. If, if he pictures heaven full of people that look just like him, not going to be the case. But I am just as naive to, to picture heaven and a bunch of uh, white people uh, that look just like me from the Midwest. We are far going to be outnumbered by people of around the world who claim the name of Jesus. And I give glory to God for that. Amen. Let's praise God. Would you stand with us? Jacoby's going to read a picture of what heaven's going to look like that we sang about already. And it gives us a picture of heaven that is not about race, but it's about everyone who has been saved by grace coming together as, as God's children. Listen to these words. Um, Revelation 7, 9 through 12 says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the land, 
um, before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the, all the angels were standing out around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, let's come to this time of reflection, decision as we prepare for communion. To lean on the cross, the blood that Jesus shed so that we could be reconciled and restored. Help us to know our identity is found in you, and then help us to, to live, to apply this, not to just talk about it on Sunday morning, but to be changed by your spirit to action, to truly love you, love your people, and serve all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.